ಮಾತಾ ಪಿತಾಂಧುಶ್ಚ So today we are here to celebrate the Christmas Eve. In our Ramakrishna tradition, the Christmas Eve has a very significant role to play in our spiritual journey. Because as we know that Sri Ramakrishna is the manifestation of religious universality and harmony. So in his life we find that not only the various sects of Hinduism, he has even practiced Christianity, Islam, the other religions also, the Abrahamic religions he has practiced in his life. And not only that, he went to the spiritual realization through each and every path. Religion to him was not a mere make-belief. Religion for him was realization. And that's why with conviction, it's not just a mere doctrine or dogma. It's from his conviction what he's, when he's saying, he's saying, as many faiths, so many paths. Jato mot, tato path. We are fortunate. We are fortunate that we need not restrict our test in our spiritual life just to the bland test of only one type of monotonous practice. Because being the being the in the being the hirers of the Ramakrishna tradition, we can enjoy the bliss which enunciates from each and every faith. Without disturbing my own faith, I can relate to all the faiths. And that's the great uh, achievement we can say we have because of the Ramakrishna tradition. We will find that in the life of Ramakrishna, as we indicated, that he studied, he practiced all the religions. In the year 1874, we find Ramakrishna suddenly got interested in Christianity. He started hearing the Bible from one of his devotees. His name was Shambhucharan Malik. He started hearing the Bible from him. And one day, just adjacent to Dakshineshwar was the house of Jadu Malik. He used to visit frequently the house of Jadu Malik. Ramakrishna used to visit his house. And in his house, there was a picture of the Madonna and the child. It is in those days when Ramakrishna was hearing the Bible from Shambhuchar and Malik, that Ramakrishna visited Jadu Malik's house, saw the Madonna and the child. And to him, it was no more a picture. It got enlivened. The child and the Madonna was as if a living entity. It was again not a matter of belief. He realized the photo has got enlivened. There's the idea of Archavataram in our scriptures that God is everywhere, but He manifests specially in the images, in the likeness of His in the images. There's a special manifestation, 
and that we find palpably uh, something demonstrated in the life of Ramakrishna. He saw the photo not as a mere photo. It got enlivened. The Madonna and the child got enlivened. And after that, for three days, he had the constant visualization of the church. It's very interesting. We go to the church, we go to the temple, physically we are present, but our mind is somewhere else. And see the wonderful life of Ramakrishna. He's not in the church. He's physically, he's in Dakshineshwar, but his mind has gone to the church, church to the visualization. For three days, as if he was constantly in the environment of the church, listening to the prayers, seeing the priest burning incense, reciting chants, all are praying. That wonderful, solemn environment, he started visualizing being at Dakshineshwar. And he started living the three days, the life just like a Christian. And on the fourth day, he was just strolling across the Dakshineshwar garden, the Panchavati and the other places. When he was strolling down the Dakshineshwar garden, suddenly he saw from a distance a figure approaching him, a radiant figure. And as the figure approached him, came near him, he immediately realized it was the Jesus, the son of God. And before he could realize what's happening, the Jesus, the form of Jesus, illumined form of Jesus, merged in the body of Ramakrishna and giving him the conviction that Jesus is also an incarnation of God. As in the Bhagavatam, it has been mentioned, avatara hi asankhaya. There are innumerable avatars. We cannot limit the manifestation of divine just into one or two forms. He is all-powerful. Throughout the ages, he has incarnated in various places, in various forms, to manifest the various aspects of divinity as and when required by the mankind to relate so that they can equip themselves in their journey of this life so that they can equip and traverse this life in a such a way that they don't feel the suffering of it. They can transcend that. And for that, God comes in various forms, in various countries, in various places, at various phases of time to manifest those various aspects of divinity. And Ramakrishna was assured of that. And he had a very special reverence for the Jesus. His, even in Dakshineshwar, in his room, there was a photo of Jesus Christ. And not only that, not, it's not only limited to Ramakrishna. In the Ramakrishna tradition, we find that Jesus has got intertwined with our tradition in a wonderful way. Among all the monastic disciples, Ramakrishna used to say, the two of them, Shashi and Sharada, who later became Swami Ramakrishnananda and Swami Sharadananda. So these two young boys who were at that time uh, visiting Ramakrishna as his close devotee, 
Ramakrishna is to indicate that they were the close associates of Jesus Christ. We find much later when Swami Sharadananda went to America and when is on his way back to India via Europe. He went to Italy and Rome and he in the church he had it's this called Bhava Samadhi. In the St. Paul's Church, he had the Bhava Samadhi that is being recorded. And we find that how it tallies with the vision of Ramakrishna, that they are the close associates of Jesus. Not only that, in Artpur, in 1886, after the passing away of Ramakrishna, when all the this young disciples of Ramakrishna, the would-be monks of the Ramakrishna order, they were yet to take formal monastic vows. It was in the month of December of 1886. That's the year Ramakrishna passed away in the month of August. So these all young boys, they all planned to go to Artpur, the parental home of one of the monastic disciples of Ramakrishna, Swami Premananda, Baburam Maharaj. So in his ancestral home, it was a in the village atmosphere, in the village background, and that house was quite spacious to accommodate them all. So they all planned to visit that in the month of December. And they were staying there for a few days, spending their days in meditation, in singing meditation, in intense spiritual practices. And one night, they decided, it was quite cold, they decided that they will alight the dhuni, the, the burning, uh, that's, you know, there's, there's the dhuni where the fire is lit. At the, uh, it's in the outdoors, they will lit the fire and they will sit around it and throughout the night, they will have meditation and have some spiritual discussions, have some uh, spiritual singing, that's what they planned. And quite at the dead of night, suddenly Swami Vivekananda got inspired. At that time he was Narendranath. He was yet to become Vivekananda. They were yet to take the monastic vows. Suddenly Swami Vivekananda being inspired by the life of Jesus Christ. He was a sannyasin. In true sense he was a sannyasin. In true sense he was a monk. So Swami Vivekananda placed before other young boys the life of Jesus Christ to be followed for the renunciation which he has demonstrated through his life, through the high spiritual attainments which he has demonstrated through his life. That has to be inculcated. And he was inspiring them with the life of Jesus. And that's how the night passed by. Only the next day morning they realized it was the night of the Christmas Eve. That's why we actually celebrate this Christmas Eve. On the 24th of December, 1886, the would-be monks of the Ramakrishna order, the first generation, the one who were inspired by Ramakrishna, they actually informally took the vows of sannyasa. The formal vows of sannyasa was in 1887, the next year, in the very early uh, months of 1887. It was in the, in the December of 1886, they informally 
just decided, they took the resolution that they are going to lead the life of renunciate. And that's why this day is so special to us. So we revere Jesus, not as the way in the Christians do, that he is the only begotten son of God. So we revere Jesus because his life demonstrates his life demonstrates the principles of Vedanta. His life is a demonstration of the fact that the divine incarnates again and again to enliven the sublime truths of the scriptures through their lives. The scriptures are as such dry. They become this enlivened. They become lively when someone leaves the life according to the scriptures and the scriptures find manifestation through their life. That's why Sri Ramakrishna used to say that he one day asked Narain to bring one almanac and asked to read the forecast. Narain wrote, Narain read that that year there is going to be profuse rainfall. And then Ramakrishna asked Narain, squeeze the almanac. Narain was a bit surprised why he's asking so. Being asked, he really squeezed the almanac and then Ramakrishna asked, why? Does a single drop of water come out of it? No. As long as it cannot yeah, bring out a single drop of water, no, it's just a mere book. It's mere printed words. So that's how he's saying that what's written in the book, unless it gets enlivened, unless it gets demonstrated through the lives, it has no purpose. So that way we revere Jesus, that through his life we find that the Vedantic principles, which we follow, which we try to inculcate in our life, has got manifested. And that's why he is also revered by us as one of the divine incarnations. In our scriptures it is mentioned that when the divine incarnates there is a joyous cooperation of the human and the nature. You find the nature has become joyous and a human starts cooperating with the nature to enjoy that uh, sublime uh, beauty of the nature, that the nature has become somehow uh, full of bliss and the human also relates to that bliss whenever there is the incarnation of the divinity as has been spoken of in the Narada Bhakti Sutra. Modante Pitaru Nrityanti Devata Sanatha Cheyam Bhur Bhavati The forefathers, they rejoice. Nrityanti Devata All the angels, they are they just as if dance in ecstasy. And Sanatha Cheyam Bhur Bhavati The earth is as if like an orphan without these divine incarnations. The divine incarnations, when they come in this world, when they descend to this world, the world as if gets its parents, its Lord. Otherwise, without it, it is just like an orphan. Sanatha Cheyam Bhur Bhavati. So that's what we find is manifested even in the life of Jesus when he is going to take birth. That Joseph and Mary they had to go to Bethlehem. They were they used to stay in they were of Nazareth, and they were going to Bethlehem 
to pay the taxes of the Roman Empire. And they couldn't find the, they somehow uh, took shelter in the inn. And that's the time when Mary was about to begot this, beget his child, Jesus. And there was no proper place so in the manger. The child was born, the Jesus was born. He was wrapped in the swaddling clothes. And when in such an humble atmosphere, the God has incarnated, we find the shepherds who were in the field, suddenly they had the vision of the angel. And they were a bit afraid, they were scared, said why suddenly the angels has appeared in front of them. And then the angels actually assured them not to be fear of, not to be afraid of. In the words of the Bible, what it's mentioned, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and they were so afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. We shall find the babe wrapped in saddling clothes lying in the manger. So that's what the angel assures. assures. And after hearing the words of the angels, the shepherds proceeds towards that in the manger and seeing the child, the blooming child, they immediately realize that as per the prophecy of the angels, this is the very child who is the son of God, the God incarnate, and they adore him, worship him. So you find there is no need for advertisement. As Swami as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, when the flower blooms, the bees come by itself. There is no need to advertise. There is no need to let the world know. The, just the bees, the way the bees uh, are attracted, the moment the flower is bloomed, whenever the divine incarnation is born, the flower, has, flower of spirituality has bloomed. And immediately you will find that people, though they do, uh, have not been having any formal invitation, they somehow get that uh, idea, the inkling that somehow their instincts work and they are drawn towards it. And they find that the divine has been uh, has taken birth, has been revealed. And spontaneous adoration, spontaneous worship is there without any preparation. And this simple, uh, this uh, what you say, the shepherds, God is always for the lowly, for the humble soul. And he always reveals to the humble. And the shepherds are the one who gets the privilege to adore the Lord for the first time. And not only that, the wise men of the East, seeing the movement of a particular star, they also, they also become aware of the descent of the divine. And they immediately start just by seeing the movement of the star, they start, they just moving, they come to uh, the Bethlehem, they come to Bethlehem and they bring lot of gifts, the frankincense, myrrh and gold to offer it to this divine child. So we find that in a wonderful way, 
the nature, the humans somehow have cooperated in a very joyous way to celebrate the descent of the divine. So next we find in the Bible that we find that the glimpse of his life just after the birth, immediately after that we find that the mention of Jesus is when he's of the age 12. So next we find the glimpse of Jesus as a boy of 12. So we find him with his parents uh, visiting the holy temple in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And when he was returning after the Passover feast, suddenly the parents saw Mother Mary and his father saw that the child is not with them. So, and then what happened? When Joseph and Mary saw that the child is not with them, they naturally they were searching for him. And in their search, they went back to the temple to find that that small child at the age of 12 is discussing with the scholars on faith. And it was a very scholarly discussion. They were quite surprised to see the child, that boy of 12 years age, is discussing the scholarly uh, with the scholars on faith, on devotion. But they were not bothered about it. The parents, you know, they always, uh, they sometimes don't realize the greatness of the child. They take him to be their son. So they were happy to find him and they asked him that why uh, you left us? We were searching you. And what Jesus replied, that boy of 12 replies is something very remarkable. So what he replies, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? So this, so Sri Ramakrishna says that the, a divine incarnate, an incarnation of the divine, knows about his life's mission from the very childhood, from when they're born. They're never forgetful about it. They're aware for the purpose for which they have been born. And we find here, even as a child, he's aware of his identity. That this real home is the realm of the divine, is the father, is the God. So that's the natural place where he resides. So how nicely is replying. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? So that's the that's, that's father. That we hear the father means the God. That's, that's my natural uh, place where I, uh, where I reside, where I stay. And that's what he's indicating, showing his awareness of his spiritual identity. So next we meet Jesus at the, as a young man at the age of 30. So there is no mention of the life of Jesus from 12 to 30, this 18 years. But the indication is there that he must be going through some spiritual evolution. You may say that if he's a divine incarnate, why should he evolve, why to have a, evolve spiritually? So even a divine incarnate in his life, they follow the norms of the world. If they, from their life, if uh, from the very beginning, that super normal uh, behavior is exhibited, people will have an idea that after all, they are supernatural. 
we cannot follow them. So we will find that they just behave like the humans. They live the life of the human beings. They behave like the humans. That's why in the Bhagavatam it has been mentioned that Krishna, when they are indicating Krishna as a divine incarnate, they say he's a kapata purusha. Kapat in Sanskrit means the one who is an imposter. So why such a word is used for Krishna? In a spiritual sense. That he is feigning to be something which he is not. So that's why he's Kapata Purusha. So here also we find that as a divine incarnate, as he has been born as a human being, he had to go through some spiritual journey, which is not actually very vividly indicated, but some hints are there. So from the age of 12 to the 30, nothing as such is indicated. But we find at the age of 30, he is a young man who is in quest of this some spiritual enlightenment. And he's moving from place to place. And at that time he heard about the John the Baptist who was uh, baptizing all. And he had some new message to give. And people were just thronging. When they were just going and surrounding him, there was this thronging around him because he was inspiring the, the masses. Because what he was saying was something new. What he was saying, repent ye. Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent ye. So before that, the idea of heaven was something far away. After death, you go there. It's far in, as per the location is concerned, it is far away. It is far away in space, far away in time. But here we find John the Baptist is saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So for the, for the first time, the people are hearing that the divine truth we are seeking is not far away. It is actually the essence of our being. It's in the core of our heart. As we are constantly being distracted by the sunset pleasures of life, we never realize the divinity which is actually hidden in the core of our heart. It is actually here, here. As Shankaracharya again and again has indicated, when once you realize it becomes something like a fruit in your hand, it's not far away. The realization becomes a fruit in your hand. This Karatala Amala Kavat, that's the word he is using. In Upanishads, the word Iha is again and again repeated. Iha, Ihaiva, Ihaiva, here only. You need not have to die and go somewhere else in future. Just in this moment, you can realize the divine. And that's why John the Baptist is saying, repent. The treasure is within you, you are not aware of it. So that's why he's asking to repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's something new. The people were hearing and they were thronging around him, being inspired by his message. And he was baptizing them. The people had the idea that in the Old Testament, there is a prophecy that God will again come. The son of, as the son of God, he will incarnate to inspire the world. And all these people took him to be the prophet. God has uh, actually prophesied, has 
assured. We find in the Bible, God has assured of the prophet. So the people think this is the prophet. And then we find John the Baptist is breaking that wrong notion. What he, by how, how he's breaking that wrong notion? By what he's saying? What he's saying is very interesting. I indeed baptize you with water into repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So that's the word of John the Baptist. That I am baptizing what the way, the procedure which he used to follow in the river Jordan. Uh, he used to baptize in the river Jordan by sprinkling the water of the river on the person to whom he was baptizing, who, who was being baptized. And that's the ritual he used to follow. And that's why he's saying, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He will inspire you. He will as if fire up your soul. And that will result in spiritual illumination. He is coming soon to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And we find that Jesus himself, as he was moving from place to place, he have heard of John the Baptist. He himself came to be baptized by him. He himself came to be baptized by John the Baptist. And seeing him, John the Baptist realized that this is the one who is has been prophesied in the Bible to be the prophet, to be the son of God. And he at first resists himself to baptize him, knowing him very well that he is the son of God. But Jesus insists that he should be baptized. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, avatar gorte ashen, bhangte ashen. They always follow the norms. You will find that all the divine incarnations had some spiritual gurus in their life. That though they are aware of their divinity, but they follow the procedure, which the norm of the world. And through that, they gradually unfold themselves because they don't want to break the norms. And here also we find that Jesus is insisting to be baptized. And being insisted, John the Baptist uh, baptizes the way he used to baptize Jesus. And immediately the God's proclamation is heard. What is this proclamation? That this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So this is the God's proclamation. Immediately after this, almost uh, within a few days, John the Baptist was arrested and beheaded. His fault, what was his fault? Well, he was far ahead of his time. What he was preaching, that was almost considered as blasphemy. And he had to pay the price because people never understood him. That has happened again and again with the, this divine incarnations. 
It has again happened. We in India, we are fortunate. Somehow, there was that uh, tremendous, uh, what you say, that patience to listen to the uh, message of the divine incarnations. We had that forbearance. We had that patience. But we will find in the history, apart from India and other places, the divine incarnations were much ahead of their time. Their words were realized later. But when they were uh, living in this earth, they were again and again misjudged. They were again and again misunderstood. And they had to pay the price. So John the Baptist was beheaded because uh, he was thought to be blasphemous. He was as if uh, speaking something which is uh, beyond the norms of the doctrines and the dogmas. And for that, he was beheaded. And after that, we find Jesus has retired in the silence of the mountains. Just as here only we find that for 40 days, the small time, as if Jesus is uh, doing some spiritual practice, he passed through the inner struggle. Even as a divine incarnation, we find that to pass through that inner struggle, Buddha had to face the temptation of Mara. Here also we find that Jesus has to face the temptations of the Satan and he comes out victorious, comes out victorious. And now he is convinced about the role he has to play. And he, then he moves to the coast of the Lake of Galilee and his public ministry ensures after that. And when he's just proceeding in the society, if we first find what we find that the fishermen, the two fishermen, the Peter and Andrew, they were fishing. And Jesus goes and calls them, beckons them, asks them, what he asks them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's what all the avatars do. They will have a small group of inner circle. They themselves most probably won't be spreading the message. They will be spreading. It's mainly to the close associates. And those close associates will be the fishers of men. They will move out far and wide to spread the message among the humankind. In all the divine incarnations we find that most probably in their lifetime, they were known among a very small circle. But that circle, the small circle, they being inspired, they spread the message and then the divine incarnation becomes known to all. Even Ramakrishna one day was asking Latu, that, oh, please count how many Latu is one of his disciples, Swami Adbhutananda. Uh, he was a young boy and he asked Adbhutananda, how many people come to me? And Latu Maharaj, uh, we find that uh, with his uh, all his attempt at last, he couldn't find more than 35 people. So that's a small group. Now you will find that movement is spreading. It's going throughout the world. So many people are following, but it starts in a small way. And they are there just to make the chosen ones, the fishers of men. So here it's a very uh, I miss, an allegorical way of saying the Peter and Andrew who were the fishers. He's saying that it's not the fish. I will make you the fisher of men. 
It's not to catch the fish. He will catch men. Not to entrap them, but to inspire them. A fisherman catches fish to entrap them, to kill them. But the fishers of men are to inspire. They trap us to inspire us and then to liberate us from this bondage, from the shackles of worldliness. And that's what the Jesus is saying. Follow me and I will make you the fishers of men. And then we find that with a small group of these fishermen and others, uh, he, has, he has started gathering around him. With them, he goes for the first uh, sermon in the Sermon of the Mount. And Jesus is opening his sermon. We will find there's a remarkable uh, uh, divergence from the old way of teaching. He's giving tremendous stress on purity. In his sermon, we find he's giving tremendous stress on purity that in the words of Jesus, in the Bible, we find blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the pure in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. These are the words of Jesus. Swami Vivekananda was highly inspired by these words. He, in the West, again and again, we find him saying, remarking on these words of Jesus, that if all the religions gets, uh, what you say, that all the religions are destroyed from the world, nothing remains, but just this one sentence of Jesus somehow, that stays. Know it for certain, all the religions will again flourish from this single sentence. Because that's the basic thing of all spirituality, of all religion. The purity. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As has been mentioned in our, here, that's why we revered Jesus. How wonderfully he is actually reflecting the message of Vedanta, the message of the Upanishads. In the Brihadaranaka Upanishad, we find it's mentioned Atma va Are Drashtavya. That spiritual truth is not something just to believe. If there are the spiritual truths are the real ultimate truths, they have to be realized. So you have to drashtavya, you have to see it. Atma va Are Drashtavya. In the Katha Upanishad, almost the same message Tamakratu Pashyati Vita Shoka Dhatu Prasadat Mahimanam Atmana. So Tamakratu, being purified. Pashyati Vita Shoka, you go beyond all sorrow and you see the truth as if palpably. How? Dhatu Prasadat. By the purification of your mind. Dhatu Prasadat speaks of the purification of the mind to realize the majestic Atman which resides in your heart. And that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And for that, you have to practice. Religion is not a noun, it is a verb. We have to practice. And that's what Jesus is stressing. We find in the Bible, the words of Jesus, be ye therefore perfect, even as your father, which is in heaven, is perfect. So if you just go to the words of Jesus, sometimes we find that what he is speaking, sometimes we don't follow. We say, 
But whatever your life may be, just believe that Jesus is the only Son of God, you will be liberated. But here the words you see, what he's saying, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So it is a, actually the idea of inculcating that idea of divinity. The Divine Father, the way He's perfect, I have to be perfect. It's not that I can just lead the life the way I want and just as I have the belief that Jesus is the Son of God and I will be liberated. So it is a verb. This all the spiritual values has to be internalized, has to be manifested in our life. And that's the very simple, pure, simple words of Jesus. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. So, very nice, we will find, just we will read the words of Bible and then we will find that sometimes most probably we don't follow Jesus. We, those, even those who say that we are the believers of Christ, we will find actually his words are not given that importance. You just go to the words, again from the Bible, therefore, whosoever heareth the sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock, and everyone that heareth them sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon sand. That without overhauling of your personality, without internalizing the divine values, if you just say, I believe in God, it is just like building the house in sand with no foundation. A little crisis in life, a little storm in life will just, the entire building will collapse because there's no foundation. But the one who not only just believes, doeth them, is not only that he heareth the sayings, one who has doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So that's the idea. It's not just believing, it's just following the words, trying to internalize those values. That's the thing which is the most crucial factor in spiritual life. Then Jesus is very, very specific about it. That's the word of the Jesus. And that's what has been, and that's why we revere Jesus. Again, we find it is reflecting the words of our scriptures. In the Bhagavad Gita, we find the, on the same idea in Bhagavad Gita, Yetu Dharmyamritamidam, Yathoktam Paryupasate. This dharma, this the, the nectar of dharma, who just follows it as verbally told by me. Such a person is my real devotee. I, I, such a person is dear to me. The one who does what I, according to the, what I say, those who honor this nectar of wisdom, declared by me, by the Lord, and have faith in me, and are devoted and intent 
on me as the supreme goal they are exceedingly dear to me that's what we find that even in the bhagavad gita in the 12th chapter the 20th shloka that speaks of the same thing it's just the reflection of the same words of jesus we find in the bhagavad gita so yes we have to internalize the values but again we should remember that all those our purushakara is just because at last to open ourselves to the grace of the divine by our own attempt we can never reach the divine as sri ramakrishna used to say just you do one part just you move one step towards god god will come running 16 steps so this our attempt to be perfect doesn't speak that god has no role to play in our life god's compassion god actually god's grace is showered on us as his compassion but from our part that little effort is necessary without that the god's progress can never be realized in our life god is always there with his compassion to grace us to forgive us from all our wrong doings but that earnest faith should be there the tremendous urge to uh overhaul our personality should be there we should realize that we have some imperfections and we have that with with that realization the tremendous urge should be there that to get rid of them to purify and to reach lord and when we have that earnestness then only the lord's grace is showered upon us i won't uh, extend to this discussion too much just to show that this god's grace how it works that how the endeavor and the grace both actually can be synchronized in our life there's a wonderful story in the bible where we find jesus has been invited by one of the jew you know that the jews were the seducers and the pharisees that these two sects were there so one of the pharisees his name was simon he invited jesus and when jesus was invited in his house suddenly a lady of ill repute came to that house she brought some ointment now simon never wanted the lady to be there and he never wanted he, ne- he never even imagined expected that jesus should allow that lady to relate to him in any way because she is a lady of ill repute she has moral uh, transgressions how and that's why simon was not at all happy that such a lady should come and try to relate to jesus to worship him and this lady came with her tears in her eyes she was crying with the tears in her eyes with this tear she washed the feet of jesus and then with her tears she wiped her the feet of jesus and she brought some ointment fragrant ointment with that she uh, we find that she is uh, applying those ointment on the jesus feet and now simon was really shocked he he couldn't understand this behavior of this woman and even the behavior of jesus that why should he allow such a lady and then we find jesus you this avatars the incarnations always speak in 
parables in a very easy language to make us understand. He's speaking of a parable that a creditor had two debtors. Two people have taken loan from a creditor and one have actually taken the loan of 500 pence and another just 50 pence. And they were not in a position, they somehow couldn't return. So they were not in a position to pay back. So, and they came and admitted that we cannot pay back. The creditor forgave them both. And then after saying this, Jesus asked, who will be more, uh, what you say that, who will have uh, that more reverence for the creditor? Who will be more thankful? Whose gratitude will be more? Simon told, of course, the one who had more debt, the 500 pence, the one who has taken the uh, loan of 500 pence, he will be having more uh, reverence, gratitude for, for his creditor. And now Jesus says, see, this lady, she was forgiven. And she, uh, she is the one actually who is indebted because of her sins, of her the wrong ways, she realized that she has a tremendous amount of depth and that was forgiven. Don't you think that she is supposed to have that gratitude towards me? Now Simon was humbled that way, that what Jesus indicated, he understood well, that God is there, that once you with full unflinching faith, you can relate to the divine. His compassion is there not to discriminate. He's just waiting for us to really relate to him with an unflinching faith. He's not going to calculate our so-called wrongdoings and the uh, what uh, pious acts I have done, what wrong things I have done. He's not going there to calculate. He is there to see our heart. There are so many stories, even in the in our scriptures. You know, that's a very Ramakrishna in the gospel is saying one story, very interesting story. What he's saying that there was a monk who is who is just used to stay under the uh, banyan tree on the shade of a banyan tree and one lady of ill repute was staying somewhere near and many people used to visit her whenever anyone is to visit her this they have to cross that banyan tree and this holy man will keep one stone for each person who is to cross that banyan tree. And when this holy man will meet that uh, lady of ill repute, he will chastise her by saying, see how much sin you have done, this much of stones I have collected for each and every man who went to you. And this lady was because of the situation of life, she was leading that type of life. Hearing that she was used, really used to be very, very, full of repent, she used to pray, she used to cry in the corner of her house, praying to the Lord, oh Lord, save me. I don't know how to come out from the situation of life. And when they both died, Ramakrishna is saying that from the Yama Loka, from the, the votaries of Yama, they came to take this monk. And the votaries of Vishnu came to take that lady. The monk never understood that. He told, I led a pure life. He told, how come? In your mind, you are constantly dwelling in sin. 
that how how many people are coming to him and you are calculating that's what is in your mind that how much that you are you are actually indulging in all those impure acts and she was she was in such a situation that she somehow couldn't come out of that because of the circumstances of life but her mind was on the divine she was constantly repenting and that's why the lord's compassion is on her because she had that unflinching faith whatever the situation of life that's not important what's where your mind is and that's the thing which we find jesus is indicating through that story so god is there so he is there with his grace to save us but we have to relate and and, and that that should be very sincere we should really feel the need of lord in our life and we we can be assured of the fact that he is there too just to run 16 step if we just move only one step to towards him so that's why we find even in the bible that jesus is assuring what he's saying his words we will now uh, just uh, come to the end of this discussion we won't uh, continue long but come unto me all ye that are heavy laden and i will give you rest it's so much echoes of the bhagavad gita almost in the last in the 18th chapter of the bhagavad gita almost the same thing bhagwan is saying that come unto me all ye that are heavy laden and i will give you rest krishna is saying almost the same thing sarva dharman parityajya mamekam sharanam vraja अहम त्वाम सर्व पापेभ्य मोक्षयिष्यामि माशुचः सो दैट अबंडन ऑल द ड्यूटीज एंड सिंपली सरेंडर अनटू मी अलोन आई शैल लिबरेट यू फ्रॉम ऑल सिन्स डू नॉट फियर दिस इज द अश्योरेंस व्हिच गॉड इज गिविंग टू अस विदाउट गॉड इट्स ऑलमोस्ट इंपॉसिबल टू गेट रीड ऑफ द एंटेंगल्समेंट ऑफ द वर्ल्ड in bhagavad gita they speak of two types of maya guna maya atma maya this guna maya is the maya with which we are entangled as in the bhagavad gita it has been mentioned daivi hesha gunamai mama maya duratyaya mamevaye prapadyante mayam etam tarantite this is almost impossible to transcend this guna maya this trigunamai maya is almost impossible mamevaye prapadyante the one who takes refuge in, in me he alone can go beyond this but how to take refuge in the lord if he is just the word i cannot take a uh, refuge to something abstract that's why god out of compassion the word has become the flesh he incarnates it is the word which has become the flesh in the word of bible and that's been mentioned even in the bhagavad gita ajopi सन्नव्ययात्मा भूतानाम ईश्वरोपि सन् प्रकृतिम स्वाम अधिष्ठाय संभवामि आत्ममाया गॉड विद द हेल्प ऑफ योगमाया दिस वन इज गुणमाया विद व्हिच वी आर बाउंड एंड गॉड इनकार्नेट्स विद अनदर टाइप ऑफ माया व्हिच इज योगमाया वेयर ही अपीयर्स लाइक दिस ह्यूमन बीइंग बट एक्चुअली ही इज नॉट द सन ऑफ मैन इज रियली द सन ऑफ गॉड ही इज reappears as the son of man but he is in essence the son of god it is through yoga maya he comes so that the word becomes flesh we can hold on to him 
he comes down so that we can hold on to him and rise in spirituality he comes down so that we can move up in the words of the bible very nicely with which we will uh, complete today's discussion i am the way the truth and the life no man cometh unto the father but by me he that hath seen me hath seen the father you see that's the same thing that the lord that abstract reality which we cannot hold on to out of compassion he comes with his yoga maya with atma maya and manifests himself as the this this the son of god the son of man is actually the son of god he manifests himself and then we can hold on to him we cannot hold on to father directly so that's why he is saying he that hath seen me hath seen the father the incarnations all the divine incarnations are the voice without form what they are speaking is actually not their words it's the word of the lord that's what jesus is saying the words that i speak unto you i speak not of myself but the father that dwelleth in me he doeth the works it is he who is doing i am just this what you are seeing that this form that's what not speaking what the one who is speaking is using this as an instrument he is the lord that's what swami vivekananda used to say that i am the voice without form that's the idea same idea here jesus is saying the words that i speak unto you i speak not of myself but the father that dwelleth in me he doeth the works it is he who is doing out of compassion for mankind and that's the thing as a human being we have to realize if we really want to that uh, get established in that spirit our real identity otherwise we are bound to be disintegrated there's the only way out in as in our scripture say nanya pantha vidyate anaya there is no other way you have to realize the divine essence in you and have to go towards it and that's with that we will just conclude today's discussion the same thing nanya pantha vidyate anaya the same idea we find in the words of the jesus what is saying whoever will save his life shall lose it we all try to save our life with our bank balance with our family with our relations jesus is directly saying whoever will save his life thinking all those to be your security zone know it for certain shall lose it you cannot keep them because they are all flowing you cannot hold on to them you cannot clasp them whoever shall save his life shall lose it and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it leave the clutch for falling from the tree you did not have to have any effort just you release the clutch release the hold the gravity pulls you down similarly you release the hold from this worldly maya from all your worldly entanglements which speaks of your so called apparent security zone you just release have faith in the lord the grace will pull you up just the way the gravitation pulls you down the grace will pull you up to your father to your spiritual essence which is one with the lord and that's what jesus is indicating even in the bible he has told that i and my father are one when he is saying he was actually charged with blasphemy how can you say that 
Jesus quoted from the Old Testament, almost the same that ye are the Lord's. It's easy in the Old Testament. People even sometimes uh, are not aware of their own scriptures. Jesus is saying, when Jesus, we nowadays we say that only Jesus can say, I and my father are one, because he's the son of God. No other can, none can say it. But Jesus himself is indicating, ye are the lords, ye are the gods, which doesn't indicate only Jesus. We all have that spiritual essence within us. We all are the lords. It is written in the Bible. We let us not read the Bible by filtering out something which is not uh, fitting in my doctrine. Let us read it with, without any bias. And then you will find the scriptures are speaking of the same, all the scriptures speaking of the same reality. And it's speaking of getting identified with the spiritual essence, which is within me, which is one with the Lord. And that is possible when we can take refuge with the unflinching devotion to any of these divine incarnations. This, in this world uh, of spirituality, each and every divine incarnation is just like a menu. You go to a restaurant, there are so many uh, dishes. From the receipt, you can just choose any of them as per your taste. All these divine incarnations are like that, uh, the various recipes of this in your menu book. Whatever your temperament, as per your temperament, choose any of them and have unflinching devotion and dedicate your life and know that only to be the truth and try to release the hold of all the things which are actually, which have no foundation, which are all crumbling and know it for certain. That's the way by losing your life for his sake, you can only find your life at last. And that's how in a paradoxical language, Jesus is speaking of the only reality of life, which we should realize. For that, we celebrate these days, that we can realize those truths which has been spoken of, which has been spoken of by them, and get established in our spiritual uh, identity. So with this prayer, with this uh, our earnest prayer, let us conclude our discussion for, for today. So wish you all the best, wish you all Merry Christmas, wish you all a happy new year. We again will be meeting uh, on 1st January to celebrate the Kalpataru day. With this, we stop our discussion today. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Pranam Swamiji, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Namaskar. Namaskar.